0: and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, Paul Gray here. Thank you so much for joining me once again for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. We've been looking at two different kinds of love that the Apostle Paul talks about in the New Testament. Agape love, which is the God kind of love, and then eros, E-R-O-S, mankind's love. That word is never used in the New Testament, but Paul contrasts agape love with it all the time. Mankind's love, eros' love, is based on One person providing what another person needs or wants or desires, and as long as they do that, then the relationship's intact. But when they are no longer able to provide that in the other person's opinion, then the love stops and the relationship is over. And Paul uses all kinds of opportunities to show that that's not the way God is at all. Nothing can affect God's love and his relationship with us. We use human words, because that's all we have, to describe the kind of love that God has. But, you know, we really can't describe it. We can't do it justice with human words. We try, because that's all we have. God's agape love simply has no conditions. It always does what's best for the other person, and it doesn't care who gets the credit. The closest thing we have as humans to understanding that is a mother's love unconditional love, childbirth, many times giving up their career and things like that to do what's best for the baby. And for mothers who are in their right mind, they love like that unconditionally. Now, many times, unfortunately, with humans, men and women, moms and dads, there can be a breaking point when love can really be tested so much that it's not given unconditionally anymore. And we tend to think, well, God must be like that, but he's not. That's a big part of the good news. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, uses two different phrases to reveal God's love more so than any others. They are Paul's much mores and his alls. Much more. God's love is much more than we can ever imagine. And God's love is for and includes all. Paul's much more and his all's. Here's a phrase that Paul used that's just amazing. God is exceedingly, much more abundantly above all. Exceedingly, much more abundantly above all. We've been studying the book of Ephesians. Here's a verse from Ephesians 3, verse 20, that we're going to come back to at the end of this, but I just want to start out with it. The uh, Mirror Translation says we celebrate Elohim, that's plural for God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who supercharges us powerfully from within. Our biggest request or most amazing dream cannot match the extravagant proportion of their thoughts towards us. The old King James says it this way, God is able to do exceedingly, much more abundantly, above all that we ask, or think, according to the power of God that works in us. Now, the one Greek word that's translated with many English words here, because we don't have a single English word to describe this, the Greek word that Paul uses is "hooper" H-U-P-E-R. It means in behalf of, for the sake of, over, beyond, much more than, beyond, more than we can comprehend. That's the word that he uses, one Greek word that's translated into English many different ways, but I love this one, exceedingly much more abundantly above all than we can ask, think, or imagine. Again, we're going to come back to that phrase. I'm actually going to close with that. I'm going to close with a question that maybe you've never been asked before. It's a question that I'm asking myself these days, and I would encourage you to do so as well. A lot of us have come through destructive religion, not that people are bad, but the religious system does a lot of destructive things. A lot of us have come through that, and we want to share this wonderful, really good news with our friends who are still ensconced in religious tradition, and it can be very hard for them, as it was hard for many of us, because we've heard so many things over and over again. They just sort of sound right to us, even though we know now that they're not right. So how do we help our friends start to see the light of what God is really like? Well, one of the places we can start is using the term unconditional love because most religious people have been taught God's love is unconditional. Unfortunately, they've also been taught, but (laughs) here are some conditions to it. So one of the ways that we can sort of break down the barriers and help somebody, we talk about unconditional love to them and then use some of the verses that I'm going to show you today and start to show them that God's love truly is unconditional, that can open eyes and open hearts to thinking, well, if it really is unconditional, then I can't really say God's love is this way, but it's got to be unconditional. So I'm going to start out today with Romans 8. Verse 31. This is a wonderful passage. I would encourage you to spend some time with this, meditate on it, and ask the Holy Spirit, the teacher in you, who I call grace. You can call Holy Spirit, whatever you'd like. I don't think the Holy Spirit's uh, particular in what you call him or her. But this is starting Romans 8.31. Paul says, all right, so what does all this mean, all these things I've been writing to you? It means if God is determined to stand with us, if God is for us, he says, tell me, then who could ever be against us? He said God proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered Jesus up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Verse 33 of Romans 8, he said, Who then would dare accuse those whom God has chosen and loved to be his? And Paul already told us in the first chapter of Ephesians that God chose us all to be his before the beginning of time. Paul goes on to say, God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them, not guilty. If you just insist on seeing God as a judge, well, then you got to go with this passage God issued his final verdict over all mankind, and his final verdict is not guilty. Verse 34, Paul says, all right, then who's left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he's conquered death and is now risen and exalted and enthroned and seated by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he's continually praying for our triumph? And that goes back to Romans 8, 1 where Paul says the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. And that's you and everybody else. All right, back to that same chapter, verse 35, Paul says, who then could ever divorce us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one, nothing. I get this, nothing in the universe has the power to diminish God's love toward us. Nothing in the universe has the power to diminish God's love towards us. Are you in the universe? Yes. You have no power to diminish God's love for you. He goes on to say, Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. He says, what about persecutions and deprivations and dangers and death threats? No. He says they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. Verse 38, Paul says, so now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. He says, I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death. Okay, you die, that's not the end. God's love still goes on for you forever, His unconditional love. Life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heaven, he says there is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken God's love for us. He goes on to say, there's no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. What a great passage. Well, friends, I'm confident that this passage is Paul's masterful attempt to eliminate all but what about questions. I mean, he covered everything in this. I mean, how can you say, well, but what about your free will? You can separate yourself from God. Well, not according to what Paul said here, because you are in the universe. You are a created thing. You can't separate yourself from God's love, you simply can't. All right, now I'm going to get to the main course. It even gets better than that. Ephesians 3:19. Paul says, "I desire for you, and this is talking about you and everyone, to become intimately acquainted with the love of Christ on the deepest possible level, far beyond the reach of a merely academic intellectual grasp. Within the scope of this equation, God finds the ultimate expression of himself in you. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, awaken to the consciousness of his closeness, Paul says. He says separation is an illusion. Oneness was God's idea all along. God's desire is to express himself through your touch, your voice, your presence. He's so happy to dwell in you. There's no place in the universe where he would rather be. God's love is so wide, it encompasses everything to the ends of the earth. Verse 20. We celebrate Elohim. It's the plural, Father, Son, Jesus, Holy Spirit. We celebrate Elohim who supercharges us powerfully from within. Get this now. Our biggest request or our most amazing dream cannot match the extravagant proportion of God's thoughts towards you. Now, he says, to him that is able to do exceedingly, much more abundantly, all above whatever we ask or think according to the power that works in us, we give him praise. There's that phrase again, much more, all, it just, you can't even fathom how much more. He says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. Now, here's the Passion Translation. Look at this. God will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. He will achieve infinitely more than your most unbelievable dream. He will achieve infinitely more and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. I mean, Jesus just demonstrated outdoing Anything we can imagine with his grace miracles, like he provided much more wine than the people at the wedding could drink. He provided much more food on two different occasions than tens of thousands of people could eat. He provided way more fish than professional fishermen's nets could hold. And he saved and included infinitely more, like everybody, infinitely more than we could ever even imagine. So here's the question I have for you and for me. As we finish this up, what is your greatest request for God? What is your most unbelievable dream to tell God about? What is your wildest imagination? Scripture says he will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for His miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now, asking, I've come to believe, really means to visualize, not to beg from a distant sky God who's keeping a list to somehow work up enough compassion for you that He might give you a scrap here or there or answer a prayer. No, we've already been given every spiritual blessing there is in the heavenly realm. A better term, I think, than asking for us to understand today— would be to thank God for what we already have, and then take those dreams and those requests and the things that we imagine and visualize them being true. We've already been given every single blessing there is in the heavenly realms. We've been given everything for life and godliness. That's what Paul and Peter tell us in Scripture. So, If we use the acrostic that I used, deem, D-E-E-M, delightfully expect effortless manifestation of the desires of our hearts, the dreams that God has put in our heart, and give him our requests and our dreams and imaginations, then he brings them about. It's not anything we can do. He's already done it. He invites us to participate with him, to be thankful for what he's already done, and then ask and dream and imagine. And then rejoice and be grateful and thank him for what he does for us. All right, the final verse, Ephesians 3, 21, Paul says, God is both the author and the conclusion of the glory on display in those of you, all of us who are called out from religion and are mirrored in Christ Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, the encore continues throughout every generation, not only in this age, but also in the countless ages to come. Folks, this is really, really, really good news about God's unconditional love for all people. I hope this is encouraging for you. And if it is, I hope you'll share this with other people. If you haven't yet, subscribed to the platform that you're listening to or watching this on hit like and make some comments that really helps drive up the algorithms when people are looking for unconditional love and grace and inclusion and things like that. And share these videos and these podcasts with other people, because most people don't know this. People like me, I was <laughs> i was in church all my life and I'd been a pastor for 25 years and I didn't know about these things uh, until I finally saw the light. So share these things with folks and Let me know what they're saying to you and how they're benefiting you. You can write comments. Those of you who know us already, you can communicate with us, or you can email me at grace to all with Paul Gray at gmail.com. All right. Hey, thanks, everybody. Enjoyed being with you again. We'll see you next time on Grace to All. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you,